Go ahead and turn your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is where we're going to be this morning. You know, in the United States, annually, it is said that there are 40 million lawsuits that are filed. There is a reason that our country has a reputation of being lawsuit happy. Because we see in our culture there are a lot of folks who like to, to put out all kind of, of lawsuits for the most ridiculous of things. One that I found I thought was interesting was there was a guy who tried to sue Budweiser. And he said that he noticed that in their commercials that everybody who drank Budweiser, they had women flocking around them, and they, and they were beautiful, and they were flirtatious. And so he decided he would consume more and more thinking that it would help him with the ladies, and it didn't, so he filed a lawsuit. Unfortunately, he struck out just as bad with the lawsuit because they threw it out. One of my favorites that I found, this is great, there is, in 1995, this is true, folks, 1995, there was a man who sued himself. He said that he had violated his religious beliefs that it was against his religious beliefs to drink alcohol, but he drank alcohol, which led to the breaking and entering and grand larceny. And so he filed this lawsuit, $5 million lawsuit against himself. Now he felt like instead of him having to pay himself, that the state should do that since he was a quote-unquote warden of the state. Um, that was thrown out as well. And we could go on and on, you know, I'm sure Joe Wilde could tell us about some really interesting ones that have come before him at times. Um, but, you know, the fact of the matter is, Paul's got his own crazy lawsuits that are going on in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. You have this church in Corinth, and these Christians are suing each other. They're, and evidently it was a real problem. In fact, let's just get into the text this morning. We're going to start in chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. He says, when one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that, there are, that we are to judge angels? Hmm. How much more then matters pertaining to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers? But brother goes to law against brother and that before unbelievers? To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat to you. for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud even your own brothers. Now we read this and it's like, what in the world is going on in this church? Paul is hearing about these Christians and they're going around and they are suing each other. And, and we, we aren't given details of what these lawsuits are about, but we can assume that these have to do with civil law. One thing is he talks about there in verse Verse uh, 3, I believe, he talks about the English Standard Version says, matters pertaining to this life. Now, that's a lot of words that is just one single Greek word. And it means everyday or ordinary matters. 
And then we see at the end of it, as we read, that he mentions the word defrauded. So there's some kind of financial things that are going on here as well. Now, what I want us to notice before we really get into this this morning is the fact that all of this is kind of sandwiched in between. I think it's, oh, it helps to turn this thing on. Uh, sandwiched in between sexual immorality. Paul, uh, Peyton talked about this, this side of things, the sexual immorality, how it defiles the church. And then all of a sudden he goes to lawsuits and then he's back to flee sexual immorality. And it's like, what was going on with Paul? Was he writing? And then he's like, oh, man, you know what? I forgot some things I wanted to add in there but in, in chapter 5, so I'm just going to go back. No, no, no. All this has to do with the same thing. You see, a lot of times we just go into it, it's like, oh, no, this is all about sexual immorality. No, this is why context is important. Because the real problem is they are failing to act like a community. That's what he keeps trying to tell them. You've got all of these divisions that are happening. You have failed to act like a community of people by allowing this incestuous man back in chapter 5 to do the things that he's doing. You're failing to be a community because you are not handling these situations between brethren the way they are and then people are going off and, and taking them into the courts. Background's important. And it's important because a lot of times we rush to chapter 6 and we say, ah, Christians can never go to law. Christians can never, you know, sue another person. They can never sue another company or government or whatever it may be. And that's it's never, it's never allowed. And, and we don't understand the context. We don't understand. In fact, this Thursday, more wild talk. This is on Facebook Live, on our church Facebook Live. We deal in these, some of these questions. And one of the things we're going to deal with, with Judge Wild, is... What, what are some scenarios of Christian, and what kind of questions do Christians have about lawsuits? So you may have some. Submit them to us before Thursday, because we'll, we'll look at some of those um, as well, because I think that's very important. We're also going to look at some of the questions in here where he said, it's really interesting, he says, don't you know you're going to judge the world? And by the way, you're going to judge angels? Okay, we're not going to cover that this morning, but we're going to talk, what in the world does that mean? But we're going to look this morning as to how this is pertaining to Corinth, and then bring ourselves into the tension, ourselves into the tension, because it's important we feel the tension, because that's what, that's what helps us transform. And maybe it's not a situation where I'm going around, you know, suing other Christians, but there's a tension here that I think we're going to see. And here's the first thing that I want us to notice about what this text is about, and that is the weak were abused by the strong. The weak are being abused by the strong. Recent research on the court systems of the Roman Empire tells us that most of these lawsuits were being, were being cast by who were wealthy and influential of society, and they were filing these lawsuits against those who were of the lower status of society. And these judges who came from the more prestigious group of society, they were going along with the testimony of those who were wealthy and those who were influential over those who were of a lower status. And that was a real problem. In fact, Paul, even in verse 1, he calls these Corinthian judges, he says they are unrighteous. Also, the wealthy could hire professional orators to argue their case, and in some cases, bribe the judges. There's one man by the name of Dio Chrysostom. He was a Greek orator at the time, and he said of Corinth, 
He says they are full of lawyers innumerable perverting justice. Paul says that some of you have wronged and defrauded your brothers and sisters in Christ. They were using the civil courts to take advantage of people, other Christians, who could not defend themselves. It was a common thing in Corinth, and they were continuing to live that kind of life. Now, I don't believe our court systems are, we have the kind of corrupt um, system that they did in those days. That doesn't mean that you don't agree with, you know, a ruling of something, but probably if you've ever, you know, a ruling was, was handed down the way you didn't think it was the way it's supposed to be, you probably didn't think, well, I bet that judge was paid off. You know, um, it's, it's just not the way we normally think. Can that happen? Well, certainly it can. And when those cases come up, buddy, it's, it's everywhere. I mean, everybody knows about it. But we can say the wealthy can hire better lawyers. And have you ever heard before, you know, the person who wins the case is the one who has the better lawyer? <laughs> and then that doesn't mean it's always the case. But let's face it, if somebody's making a much better argument than the one who is not, uh, probably they're going to come more of an advantage at times uh, than do others. There are, I know it's going to be shocking to you, there are unrighteous lawyers out there that will say anything, whether it's true or not, in order to get more for their clients. Which means more for who? For themselves. And this is not an indictment on the whole judicial system. Please. We have people in this church who are part of the judicial system. But Paul would say, shame on any Christian who would use these courts to abuse other people. And especially with Christians. Now let's not lose heart of what this whole thing's about. It's about greed. In fact, if you look back into chapter 5, verse 11, he, start, he gives this list. Peyton, you know, he went through chapter 5, and there in chapter 5, he gives this list. The first part of the list was sexual immorality. That's what he's dealing with. The very second thing he mentions is greed, because that's what he's about to deal with. And that is what he is dealing with. And it goes against the very idea of who we are as Christians, as God's covenant people, in which Jesus says, too, that this is very important, that you love others. You cannot say that you love others and at the same time abusing those who are weaker. At the same time doing things to take advantage of others in the church. Now, to my knowledge, I have never known a congregation that I've been in or any congregation and since I've been preaching where it was a real problem that Christians are going around suing each other. Probably some of you, we've got people, snowbirds here, they're from all kind of different states. Probably all of them will say, just like most of us here, we would say, you know, I've just really never seen that. But we do need to get into the tension. Because the tension is where we grow. So let's try to put this more into a perspective of what might happen or can happen in this day and time. It could be a Christian who does work for another believer. And they will, will, they will price up parts and, and materials that were needed to do a job. In other words, it didn't cost quite as much as they said it did in order to get more money. Let's flip that. 
You can have another Christian who does a job for you, and you underpay them. I've actually known some who did not pay for something that someone else, another Christian did for them. I love seeing Christians help each other out. I, I've seen it in lots of different places. I've seen men, they love getting together and help each other out with their cars or taxes or, you know, they, they give people furniture or appliances when they need them and they, they, won't, they don't want anything else in return. And it's so beautiful and wonderful to see those kinds of things. I've known Christians who've had businesses and they said, listen, if you come... I'll give you a discount because we go to church together. 10% discount. It's wonderful. It's great. But also we need to understand it's not required of a Christian business person to give away their skills that they need to make a living either. In other words, after a while, everybody's going to be like, oh yeah, I want to use that person. And then it begins to take food away from their own table or maybe for their future. And I've known people who have taken advantage of those who, who were giving them a really good deal on something, but they complained about that deal. They just they felt like something more was expected. Greed. Paul says any situation where we are taking advantage of other people, other Christians, I think we could look at and say, that's wrong. That's the wrong thing to do. Here's another thing I want to notice. Civil suits brought shame on the Christian community. The Christians were shamefully taking their family business, if you will, to the streets. Rather than handling these things within the community. And so he says in verse 7, this is defeating. And what he's saying is that nobody wins. Even if you take another brother or sister in Christ, take them to court, and you win your suit, you didn't win. Because what's happening is it's the family of God that is being torn apart. And the, the watching world, they see the whole thing as God's family is wronging and defrauding one another. So instead of taking these matters into the civil courts, what Paul tells these Christians, he says, listen, find people who are wise in the church who can help settle these disputes. And, 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 and we talk about judges in chapter 5 and verse 12. He even talked about judging those inside. It was actually a practice of the Jewish communities. Once they were scattered from Israel... They actually set up their own courts so that they did not have to take these matters into these Gentile court systems. And so Paul asked a question. He says, is there not anyone wise enough to judge in these matters? Now, if you don't know Paul, he has the spiritual gift of sarcasm. <laughs> and it is dripping with sarcasm. Because what was one of their problems? They kept talking about how wise they were. We are so spiritually wise. And then Paul says, oh, Really? Well, you not have anybody wise enough to handle these, these kind of things? You have to take it out into the unbelieving public? So he's really blasting them here. But let's get back to more of what relates to us and some of the things that we just talked about. Sometimes people just have different opinions about a job that is being done. 
Some people just really have no idea maybe what that job is worth. And what Paul would say is, when you have these disagreements in the church, don't take them into the public court systems. Find someone who mutually you both respect to help settle a dispute, if that's what's needed. It doesn't mean every time, okay, well, you know what? Somebody hurt me, so I'm going to go out there and I'm going to find somebody and we're going to bring them. That's not, no, no, no. First of all, you need to try to work these things out. I think Jesus kind of talked about that, didn't he? And, and then if you can't, then, then let's, let's talk, whether it be the elders of the church or whether it be someone else in the church that you consider you both have great respect for as a Christian person. And then if that is the case, and if it doesn't go the way you hope that it does, then don't hold a grudge. Because there's something bigger that is at stake. It is God's family. And when there are two people who are divided, then the whole church is divided because we are family. That was the problem in Corinth were these divisions. And he's saying that this kind of thing, it just cannot be. And maybe you say, well, you know what? I'll never use that person again. Okay, that's fine. That's fine. Sometimes that happens. But at the same time, let's not let something divide us as people, as, as a community of the faith. And it also goes against our covenant. If you don't know, we have a covenant here at this church. And we expect everybody that says, I'm a part of this church, to go by these things. Because it helps us. These are all biblically based. And one of those is that we have is I will protect the unity of my church family. That's number one. And one of the things underneath it is I do that by acting in love and mercy and kindness. Another part of our covenant as a church family is I will strengthen the reputation of my church family. And that has to do with how I live my life, how I do business. It's you know what, when things don't go my way, I'm not going to go around and I'm, I'm not going to start spreading rumors and gossip about people that I have disagreed with. There's more at stake, Paul says, than being defrauded and wronged. The unbelieving world is always watching for us to fail. The media loves to give, these, give attention to these stories where, where you know, Christians are seen in a negative light. And once again, it goes against the very aspect of being God's covenant people. Number one, Jesus said, is love God. With all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. You see, it's not your reputation that's on the line when these kinds of things happen within the community of Christ. It's the name of Christ. That's whose reputation is on the line. Now, we're not talking about covering up crimes here. Um, you know, where, uh, I, where we've seen in the news at times church leaders that they have done with things such as sexual predators. And I know some of you are thinking, oh yeah, that's the Catholics. Let me tell you something. You will find it across the board. They just seem to get a lot more attention to it, and maybe they've done a worse job with it. But the fact of the matter is, we're not talking about those kinds of things. We're talking about civil matters. And we need to be civil in those matters. Here's another thing, and that is, Christians live by a new reality. We live by a new reality. 
Paul really hasn't changed the subject from chapter 5. As we mentioned, this is all kind of a sandwich in here together. These are all examples of the church failing to be the church. What does he call us to be from the very beginning? He says you're called to be saints together. And then what does he come back in chapter 6 and he say? He says, listen, you don't go to law before these, the unrighteous instead of the saints. Okay, we've got a responsibility we have a responsibility because we have been called out of our previous world in which we were living before we came to Christ. That requires us to modify certain things in our lives. Civil suits, abusing the weaker, that was the ways of the Corinthians. That was their society in which they lived. And he even gives a list of a lot of these problems. In fact, we keep going. In fact, it may surprise you. We talk about these lawsuits, and then we get to verse 9, and he says, or, in other words, it belongs to what he just said. And we often just separate these two things. We don't put them in their context. But he says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But he says you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of God. These legal disputes, this greed, was just simply one of the issues. Paul's just using this as an example, and he gives these examples of ways that they were, they were not acting like the community of Christ. And what's interesting is, back in chapter 5, verse 11, there are six things that he mentioned there. Those are the six things he mentioned. Those six things are found right here in this list. We also see that he adds a few more when he comes into chapter 6 as well. But what this is is to illustrate that the Corinthians used to be what they used to be before they came to Christ. And life transformation has now begun. And so he's telling them, act like it. Act like the transformation that has already begun in you. Act like it. Proclaim the kingdom of God. He alludes to their baptism, does he not? He says, you're washed. You've been cleansed of all these, these past sins in your life. He says, you've been sanctified. That's a word we've seen before. It, we're set apart for God's service. And he says, we're justified by the name of Jesus. By the very name of Jesus. And that word justified means to be released from the control or situation involving these moral issues. Those who are baptized into Christ, they have been transformed from one mode of existence into another mode of existence. Paul says, act like it. Act like it. Proclaim the kingdom of God. We're called to be disciples. In fact, we're called... Our mission is to make disciples. But that also means that we as a disciple, which means learner, 
that's the basic term of the word, is a learner, we continue to find ourselves into these tensions and we continue to make those transformations as we go. Okay, we're not perfect. But he says, listen, at least act like you are a person who continues to be transformed by Christ. Our Christian communities are meant to represent Christ. And so we have to ask ourselves, if, if people in our community came in and they saw how we treat each other, would they say, you know what, this exemplifies exactly what I see out here? Or do they say, this is something different. This represents Jesus. This is, this is how I see Jesus. And I think we got to answer those questions. In a culture that is shaped by the values of individual materialism, are we conducting our affairs in a way that shows clearly that our primary loyalty is to the family of God? Or is our loyalty simply to ourselves and what we think? And what's important to me? Unfortunately, we can focus on other things in this list, can't we? I mean, what do we do? We go to 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 and 11, and man, we really love to tear into things like adulterers and homosexuals, right? And, and these things are all a part of He's just saying, look, these people who are acting this way, these greedy people, these people who are filing these lawsuits against each other, he says they're just part of this list. And if we primarily go to this text simply to look at a couple of different things that disgust us, then we have completely missed it. He says, let me tell you, this is about greedy people. That's what this is about. And so the question is, these 11 verses are to make sure that we re what we reflect as a community, are we protecting and even silently approving of people who are greedy and abusing other people in the church? That's what this is about. I want to challenge everybody this week. I'd love for you to just take a piece of paper or do it mentally. Piece of papers are great. And just draw a line and put, I used to be on one side, but now I on the other side. And, and put up those things maybe, you know, that you do well. Something that you really have seen changes since you've become a child of God. But also put those things that you know that you used to be, and maybe you still kind of are, but you know what you're supposed to be. But put all those up there, because we mentally need to reflect these things. And it could be a number of things. It could be someone who says, you know what, I used to be a womanizer, but now I cherish my wife, as Christ loves the church and cherishes her. Or maybe a person, maybe someone who says, you know what, I used to be a racist, but now I know I'm a part of God's family. It's made up of all races. Or, or maybe it's someone who says, you know, I used to think only about making money for myself. But now I search for ways to use my finances to serve Christ. What is it for you? What is it that we see about our own lives? What is it that I used to be and what I am now? Because of Christ. And what are those things that you know that you used to be that you kind of still are and you haven't made that real transformation? Paul says, listen, you, you have been moved from one existence into the next. Act like it. 
Act like it. To be baptized into Christ is to enter a reality in which the factors that used to give us status and security and identity, those things no longer count. Our only identity is in Christ. That's the only place our status is found. And, and you may be here and you, you know, you're not even sure about this baptism thing. Maybe it's something that you, know, you question in your own life. Uh, we'd, we'd love to just sit down and talk to you about it. It's a beautiful thing. It's a transformational thing. And, and as I said, we'd love to just be able to sit down with you and, and talk to you more about this because it's all about being like Jesus. It's, it's all about being washed and sanctified and justified in Jesus. Let us bow for a word of prayer as we get ready to close. Father, we come to you this day and we thank you so much for your blessings. Father, I thank you for the fact that you sent your son to die for us, even though, Father, we were just, we were just not worthy. And while our list may not be the exact same that we see in Corinth, Father, we know we have our own lists, our own things of what we used to be, maybe things that we still struggle with, but Father, we just pray your spirit. We pray your spirit will continue to help us and transform us. Father, we pray that we will, we will continue to unify the church here and, and to love each other unconditionally and to work things through. Father, help us as, as we become some kind of beacon of light before the world. Father, we know we're not perfect. But Father, may the world look at us and say, man, those folks, they just truly love Jesus. And they're, they're, they're continuing to work on things in their lives. Father, we pray for those who may be here and, and, and they've never been baptized, which we know that's not the, the end-all, be-all. We know that's just part of this process, Father, that you have for us. But Father, your baptism is so beautiful. It's so wonderful. And Father, we just thank you for your Son who gives it its power and its glory. We thank you, Father, for a rich future that is ahead of us with the coming of your Son. And so, Father, just continue to be with us here. Help us to love you and one another. Help us to be true disciples as we go out and we seek to make disciples. And so, Father, we just pray all these things in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.